James Averhart, candidate for Correctional District Number 2 for the May 5th primary coming up. We hope you get out and vote. And here's his message to the citizens of Congressional District Number 2, James Averhart, candidate for Congressional District Number 2. I am James Averhart, a candidate for Alabama's 2nd Congressional District. I'm a native and resident of Mobile, Alabama. 100 days from today, on March 5th, 2024, the primary election will be held in Alabama. The citizen of Alabama's 2nd Congressional District will have the opportunity to exercise their right to vote and elect a candidate to be their voice going into the general election in November 2024. I've had the opportunity to meet and listen to personal and systemic concerns from citizens throughout the district. I want each of you to know that I hear you loud and clear. I can relate to the issues that you have discussed with me. I look forward to continuing to build relationships with individuals, groups, and organizations to prepare a brighter future. I am not a career politician, and I will not make empty promises. However, if given the opportunity, I will work hard on your behalf and advocate for issues that are important to you. I am a firm believer that actions speak louder than words on any given day. I also believe that leadership matters, and we need a leader who is unbought and unbossed to advocate for real change. I am James Averhart, and I approve this message. I am James Averhart, a candidate for Alabama's 2nd Congressional District. I'm a native and resident of Mobile, Alabama. 100 days from today, on March 5th, 2024, the primary election will be held in Alabama. The citizen of Alabama's 2nd Congressional District will have the opportunity to exercise their right to vote and elect a candidate to be their voice going into the general election in November 2024. I've had the opportunity to meet and listen to personal and systemic concerns from citizens throughout the district. I want each of you to know that I hear you loud and clear. I can relate to the issues that you have discussed with me. I look forward to continuing to build relationships with individuals, groups, and organizations to prepare a brighter future. I am not a career politician, and I will not make empty promises. However, if given the opportunity, I will work hard on your behalf and advocate for issues that are important to you. I am a firm believer that actions speak louder than words on any given day. I also believe that leadership matters, and we need a leader who is unbought and unbossed to advocate for real change. I am James Averhart, and I approve this message. I am James Averhart, a candidate. Hello, this is James Averhart, candidate for Alabama's 2nd Congressional District. How you doing? Thank you, uh, Mr. Averhart. Thanks for calling in. Uh, I'm the host, Freddie sure. Howard, House C Production Gospel, Internet Radio. Go ahead, tell us uh, why you are running for Congressional District Number 2. Uh, first and foremost, thank you again, Howard, uh, for having me aboard. I'm Dr. James T. Averhart, Jr., a candidate for Alabama's 2nd Congressional District, a retired Marine of 30 years. I'm the current uh, executive director for the state of Alabama, NAACP. I ran for the United States Congress in 2020. I was the Democratic nominee and actually almost ran, uh, won this uh, first congressional district at that time. So I have an inherent obligation. I retired from the Marine Corps, uh, from the Pentagon, had the opportunity to work on Capitol Hill, 
and I also came home to Mobile and Monroe County and saw the things that much needed things that needed to be done and things that a congressman, a congressperson should be doing. However, I, I always felt that these areas of uh, our district were disenfranchised and the congressman was not given the attention. So instead of being a part of the problem, I wanted to be a part of the solution. So I ran in 2020, and here I am back again running in 2024. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Okay. Tell us um, in regards to um, the upcoming election, uh, March the 5th, um, how you, how's your campaign coming in there? Well, the campaign is coming very well. Uh, I'd like to direct your your listeners to my website, www.jamesjamesaverhart.com. Uh, the campaign is going well, but I'm here to say um, we know that always at the primary, this is the presidential primary, uh, the turnout is always low. And here in Alabama on Tuesday, it's scheduled to rain, so we're hopeful but I, I I do know that this race is up in the air. Uh, it's anybody's race. Uh, I I was checking with uh, some of the uh, in fact this afternoon on the radio about a two hours and thirty to forty minutes program I ran um, in regards to um, some of the candidates that were being questioned in a in a forum. I think five candidates out of the eleven. Why why wasn't all of the candidates in that forum? The WFTV out of Montgomery had a forum also. That's, why wasn't all that's the correct. candidates in that forum so that the people in Alabama could hear on a larger scale of each one of the candidates' uh, point of view? Well, you're absolutely right. You know, at this time on the Democratic side, we have 11 candidates who are, are qualified. Uh, to run and in this race and will be on the ballot uh, on March 5th. Uh, the powers that be, uh, I guess the Alabama Democratic Party, uh, which partnered with WSFA, uh, chose five uh, candidates, and mainly those individuals who they chose was current or current state legislators who they chose to to um, to debate. And, uh, of course, that was very upsetting to uh, myself and several other candidates because we do feel like we should have had a voice, an opportunity to debate along with everyone else, as it was originally uh, discussed. Okay. Okay. I got a question uh, to the candidates. Go ahead. My question is, is this. How many town hall meetings have you had with your constituents asking them, what they want to see out of you, the public service? Well, you know, that's, that's a great question, sir. Uh, I move about this district. There's 13 counties in this new congressional district, and I've had candidates form town halls. You know, I'm one of those individuals. I'm not a career politician. I'm a patriot, you know. And so I think a lot of times candidates, elected officials, they talk too much. They don't know uh, what they tell you, everything that they're going to do. However, they don't get an understanding what the concerns are of the citizen. And I think that even in my capacity as the NAACP executive director, I move about this uh, this state and definitely in this new district. Uh, uh, there's a myriad of concerns from our, our constituents. 
down in this new district. District. It doesn't matter what, what my concerns are as an individual candidate, and that's not a concern. The concern are, uh, my concerns are the concerns of the people, and, and there's a myriad of concerns. Some of these concerns are very systemic. You know, in Mobile, Alabama, the citizen in Mobile care less about the citizen what's going on in Russell County, and likewise in Clark County, um, they don't care about what's going on in Crenshaw County. So that's a revolving door there, you know, and I think as a candidate, we have to be in tune with what the constituents want. And therefore, if you're in tune with what the constituents want, you can work better on their behalf. Well, let me ask you another question. You're saying that you're affiliated with the NAACP. When blacks, also Latinos, when blacks and also Latinos are polled and surveyed, overwhelmingly in the 70th percentile, they say they want school choice with vouchers. Now, I know for mm-hmm. sure that the NAACP is against that. What is your position on mm-hmm. what overwhelmingly well, in the 70th well, percentile, those constituents say that's what they wish to have? Well, I'd like to know where that information is coming from because I think it's mixed feelings. If we're talking about national, if we're talking nationally, then that's a different story. But, I, but what I'm concerned about at this time is the, the district which, in which I look to represent. Now, school choice, as it pertains to school choice, there are several parents uh, of people that are interested in and will love school choice. My personal position as it pertains to school choice is this. I don't think that funding from public school should go to public school or private school, but I understand that some kids are more uh, successful in that environment, especially if there's a, 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 a health care need, uh, a special needs in which that school, that kid will perform better at a particular school, then I do think that money should follow that, that kid to that, that school of choice. I think it should be individually based, though, not just systemic where it's just uh, free fall, all for one. Well, I agree with what you said. I believe, I agree that a parent and the family know best for their children's long-term educational goals. And being that you do have functional families, even though they are economically poor, when their child goes to school, they are well ahead of others, and they should not be captivated in that particular environment where there's no education going on. So, yes, let a parent choose the best outcomes for their children. And being that they're poor and that they're paying for it, let the money follow the child. Thank you. That's good. Right. Hey, uh, I want to ask a question of the candidate in regards to uh, – I just posted a story that broke today uh, where the uh, Mississippi House of uh, passed uh, uh, Medicaid expansion. I don't know what the Senate is right. going to do. With, uh, I just posted it to, to my uh, uh, my webpage. But um, how do you, uh, Mr. Apart, feel about um, a Medicaid expansion? Um, you know the background, how hospitals are closing and maternity wards. Right, 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 right. Talk about that. You know, how- you know that's a great question. You know, federally, as a you know United States congressman, I look to, number one, establish a rapport uh, so I can advocate better for my constituents. With that said, we know Medicaid expansion in the state of Alabama. Alabama is one of about four other states who have not 
um, who have not uh, grasped this concept to support Medicaid expansion. We know Medicaid with, with Medicaid expansion, there's a gap there where many uh, citizens, uh, especially those who are, we'll say, uh, childbearing age, they do not have any type of insurance, etc. Uh, Health care. Uh, so Medicaid expansion would, you know, uh, 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 essentially provide the the, the necessary resources for those uh, constituents who fall in that category, whether they make too much money or not enough money. You know, this, you know, we know this history falls behind Obamacare and such, but there's a lot of our constituents out there, you know, to include veterans. I'm a 30 year veteran, but I know, and I'm fortunate that I have my, my percentage. However, there's a lot of veterans who have served our country that do not have, um, uh, cannot get medical attention. There's a lot of homeless citizens who cannot get uh, medical attention, uh, health care. So, you know, I do support Medicaid expansion. And again, but we all know that that's a state level issue. And it's, yeah. it's in, in Virginia, yeah. state of Alabama, uh, our state legislators uh, are advocating for it. However, they're outnumbered. They're more uh, members of the GOP side than the Democratic side. So they always get outvoted. And however, but it's left with the governor, and our governor at this time says no to a Medicaid expansion. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Um, but um, our other, other um, you're not a candidate, but you are um, advocate voice for, you're advocating for what type of, uh, I see you, tend to say that the government seemed to be poking its nose where it don't belong, in a sense, and I may be saying that in a wrong way or, or by however way you feel about it, such as what, uh, as you call, gerrymandering, gerrymandering, as right. you said, it's been used for, by politicians and legislators for a while now, and they all right. be doing it. Democrats do it, Republicans right. do it. It's just... Right. the way that they do because they be trying to get a certain constituent in their district and a lot of people like to have the folks that got more money and the more upstage but where the where they come to poor people uh, don't nobody gravitate to them not necessarily for help except for to use them but I, I think that people should gravitate to it to make conditions better for them in their district or wherever they live Saving if there are a lot of right. poor people in the district uh, it's not necessarily putting money there, putting other resources there, so that if you don't get a kid in what, uh, I would say from the age of uh, three to five, if you don't put no uh, type of control, not necessarily control, but uh, long life standing principal teaching of things in their life from the age, I'd say about three to five, when they get seven and eight, it's too late. You, you got a hard road what they have learned or the condition that they're brought up in when they're three or five years old. And that they should be have those uh, different things for development at the early stages, such as academics, math, science, whatever it is in the schools. So because if you send a kid to a school or anywhere and they are not equipped to uh, obey, they are not equipped to listen, they are not equipped with enough discipline, and all of that stuff starts at home. If you send them out into the school system, all you're doing is throwing, like throwing something into a, a machine that's maybe running in a way 
And if they ain't equipped, that begins to drag that whole system down. But uh, I really well, think... you know, go ahead. You're right about that. But here's the thing: the operation of that school district is not the business of the federal government. That's for the state and the people that live in that district. And the people that live in that district should be demanding of first their school board and then the staffing of the superintendent, the principals, and teachers in their schools. That's who controls that school, not the federal government. Now, the federal government may offer some programs like ROTC, and then that's when they start putting stipulations on school districts, which they shouldn't be doing. Ultimately, that school district operation is that of the people in that district. Okay, well then, I'd like you to answer this too, uh, Mr. Eberhardt. The gentleman is is bringing up a point here. It's a valid point, but what about in a situation where there is a system where there is just increased, when I say down-level training, in other words, no academic uh, just poor control, and the kids are just not improving. What is, what is to be done with those people? Who is to speak up for those people? Is it the government, or is it somebody that, that, that's supposed to be rough? Who speaks for them? Are they just out well, there that's on their own? Well, that's a great question. They should not be out there on their own. Um, I mean, I think some great points have been made by yourself and your other caller, and that uh, he makes a great point. Um, as it pertains to the educational system, for any state, uh, that should falls on the superintendent, uh, the school board. Uh, the governor has a state uh, uh, representative for the, uh, the state department of state department of education. So that's who should be setting up curriculum, uh, etc. But there has to be a level of accountability. The federal government should only be involved in this when there's federal funding funding from the federal government is involved then that's when the federal government should have a say because there's oversight. You know, if there's, we'll use, for example, uh, a million dollars come to the Alabama um, for education in Alabama, uh, there should be some oversight to make sure that, that those funding are not arbitrarily being used for infrastructure, but it's actually used for education, whether it's with that classroom or whether it's with retaining uh, viable teachers, educators in the state because what we see our kids are our most precious resource however you see a lot of educators who are leaving the school system and they're going overseas because they're more incentive better incentives that's why they're taking jobs overseas or in other states as well but i think this 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 issue is plaguing uh our, our nation uh overall they're plaguing every every state every community and town uh out there because those uh, there's not a. It appears that there's not a viable. When I talk to education, they they are really upset with the curriculum that they utilize. Um, some of the those individuals sit behind desks, but they have you know not out there in the trenches teaching these kids or having to deal with these kids on a daily basis. So, but someone has to advocate for those kids, and and I look to you know again establish relationships, but to advocate for those kids and to help get funding. Uh, federal funding for certain projects uh, to go into our education system, whether it's for the educators themselves or to make better programming uh, for those for those uh, 
uh, kids. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I, uh, I, 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 I think 540, that's Aberhart, and I'm going to use 314 for the other gentleman. And what's your name, sir? 314? Sir? My name is Mr. Pianchi. Yeah, okay. Oh, yes, right. You said it when you first came out. I'm sorry, I didn't remember. But look, let me ask you this. Yes, and both of you all have answered it in a sense, I believe, already. If the federal does not speak for those people that we are, we, you know, we both know who you were talking about, people with less learning and not advantages and so forth, being able to stay up academics or whatever way they are, are economically, whatever the reasons are that they are not, uh, as they say, some people let me cut down the mic on this thing. I don't do. So, okay. But who do you think you were saying that the government shouldn't be doing these things? But who do you think should do that for these people? The other gentleman, three one four. Starts at the bottom, and see the problem is today is that parents were not educated to their civic responsibilities oh, in yeah, the area, yeah, yeah. the community that they live in. Now, when you have that situation, then you have problems. Some way or another, you got to get that. Pardon me? I said that's throughout America. Yeah. Go well, ahead. It, 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 in many places, but not every place, because you got some places where and, uh, black children are doing very, very well. But you got too many places where this is not happening. And especially in your major cities, it's not happening. And uh, we can point fingers at any reason, but ultimately the data is what it tells, and that has to be changed. It's a shame that these children, if they're a child, no child wakes up in the morning wanting to be a failure. They are children with all the possibilities ahead of them. If grown-ups, parents, family, and stakeholders that's their responsibility to make sure that that child comes up where they can compete with the world. Excellent talk. Excellent talk. Okay, um, Mr. Abelhart, uh, I thank you for calling in. And uh, do you like to add any more to uh, your bid for, um, since you were on one of them public forums on the television? Well, well, <laughs> well I appreciate that. Uh, you know, the next um, on Sunday, I'm actually scheduled for a televised uh, candidate forum after the Selma Jubilee in Selma, Alabama, the, the bridge crossing. But I just want to, again, direct uh, the, your, your listeners to my website. Uh, that's the information where you can contact me with this email or call me direct. I'll be more than happy to answer any calls. But understand that everything that we do is political. Uh, all eyes are on Alabama Second Congressional District, this new opportunity district, and we need to get out to vote. I uh, understand it may be raining, but we still need to, to to mobilize and polarize the polls and get people out to vote. You know, okay. um, I am the most qualified candidate that's in this race, and I'm asking for uh, your listeners' consideration. Thank you. All right, thank you, Mr. Avar, for calling in. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you, sir. All right. All right. I am James Aberhart, a candidate for Alabama's 2nd Congressional District. I'm a native and resident of Mobile, Alabama. 100 days from today, on March 5th, 2024, the primary election will be held in Alabama. 
the citizen of Alabama's 2nd Congressional District will have the opportunity to exercise their right to vote and elect the candidate to be their voice going into the general election in November 2024. I've had the opportunity to meet and listen to personal and systemic concerns from citizens throughout the district. I want each of you to know that I hear you loud and clear. I can relate to the issues that you have discussed with me. I look forward to continuing to build relationships with individuals, groups, and organizations to prepare a brighter future. I am not a career politician, and I will not make empty promises. However, if given the opportunity, I will work hard on your behalf and advocate for issues that are important to you. I am a firm believer that actions speak louder than words on any given day. I also believe that leadership matters, and we need a leader who is unbought and unbossed to advocate for real change. I am James Averhart, and I approve this message. James Averhart, one of the 11 Democrats on the ballot. I like going to meet the, the constituents. I like looking them in their eyes and asking them for the vote. James Averhart was born and raised in Mobile. He spent 30 years in the Marines as a combat vet. He's currently the national director of the Montford Point Marine Association, an organization of black Marine vets, and the executive director of the NAACP Alabama. I'm the most diverse of the candidates. Uh, I promise you that no one has have seen what I've seen and done what I've done, and that's both on the, the military side and the civilian sector as well. Averhart was the 2020 Democratic nominee for Congress in Alabama's first district, losing to Republican Jerry Carl. It's provided me some great insight. You know, we look at some lessons learned from 2020, and we're definitely capitalizing off those, uh, those lessons learned. Averhart says in Congress he'll focus on access to health care, workforce development, gun violence, and Veterans Affairs. I'm a veteran, you know, I'm a part of the uh, national president of a veterans organization, and there's a lot of veterans who have served their country, however, they don't have their compensation for their, their VA rating, disability, etc. So I work tirelessly every day working with veterans in, in regards to helping them uh, get their. Uh... James Averhart graduated from J.F. Seals High School. Uh, he's from right up there and right across in Alabama. Uh, we hope that you will go out on March the 5th and exercise your right to vote. Uh, you have been listening to House Street Production Gospel Internet Radio located at 231 6th Avenue. And we have been talking to and focusing information on James Averhart, one of your own, graduated from J.F. Seals High School. But anyway, he's going to be running, and we hope you go out and vote for him on March the 5th. James Averhart, he's at the top of the ballot. Make sure that you vote for James Averhart. Thank you.